Welcome to Right Now Workshop Podcast, where you can write a book and change the world. I'm your host, Kitty Buholtz, and this is episode 250, Building Book Buzz, an interview with Jody Headland, coming to you on Thursday, June 3rd, 2021. 250 episodes. Can you believe it? Three and a half years. I think this is something to celebrate. If you've been with me for a while, I think you should celebrate with me. If you haven't been with me for a while, I think you should celebrate anyway, because why not walk in when somebody's having a party and say, great, I'll have a piece of cake. Now, I don't like cake, but I really, really, really like ice cream. And we finally have summer weather here in Sweden. So I think today we should all go find someplace to have some ice cream, whether it is in the kitchen with some crumbled up brownie or going down to the convenience store and buying your favorite like drumstick or magnum or going to an actual ice cream place where they scoop it out. <laughs> um, I think, I think I'm going to go across the street to Graffiti Cafe and have the kind of sherbet that's like all different colors, like rainbow sherbet. I love that. Unless they have lemon sorbet, then I'll have that. Okay. That's what I'm going to do to celebrate. So I hope that you do something fun. Remember celebration is really, really good for helping your brain know, oh, right. More of this. Great. I can do more of that for you. So it obviously takes a little bit more than just uh, convincing your brain to do all the things in life that we want to do. But um, you know what? Whenever you can find any milestone that you can celebrate, it just really helps give you a boost of energy. Uh, even if it's taken you three and a half years to get to say 250 podcast episodes. So Celebrate whatever it is that you're doing. And while you are thinking about celebrating finishing your book, or maybe you're just starting your book, you are really going to get a lot out of this episode with Jody Headland. Some of the things that she's talking about as far as building book buzz, that's hard to say sometimes, building book buzz and uh, what the sorts of things that she does during a book launch may not be what you need to do today if you don't have a book launch. But when I was listening to her, I was thinking, you know what, uh, so many of the writers that I know or work with, they could totally be doing these things right now, just like starting to build their audience more on their social media platform of choice. And um, just letting people know, like, this is what I do and books are going to be coming out. So let's talk about what we're reading, what we're watching, movies that we are seeing, um, any place where you can be talking about your favorite story. Um, sometimes my favorite story of the day is in a song. So look for ways that you can, when you're listening to Jody, um, institute some of these things now, even if you're not in the position of thinking about a book launch. Uh, also, think about books that you could read that help you in your writing journey <laughs> to look for ways to become a better author. So for instance, um, Jody's book, Come Back to Me, is a time-crossing historical romance. So if you write historical romance um, with or without twists, uh, if you write rom historical romance set in... Um, very early medieval, I can't remember the year, I want to say it's 1100 and something, um, medieval England, then read some books that are set in that time period. Look to see what other people are doing and not so much as a way to, oh, they're doing this and they're very popular, so I'll do it too. No, I'm, I'm saying 
read the books that you would probably enjoy anyway. And every couple of ch chapters, particularly if you are thinking, all right, now I need to stop and go do something else or go to sleep or whatever, and you don't stop, like particularly go back and ask yourself, okay, what'd they do in the last few pages or the last few paragraphs that made me say, all right, just one more chapter. Or if you really can totally visualize a character in your mind reading this particular book, stop and ask yourself at some point, of course you want to enjoy the reading process. So just sometimes stop and ask yourself, what are the things that they've done with this character that make me think, I love this character. I want to be friends with him or her or kiss him or her or whatever it is. Um, so look for books that you can, um, be inspired by uh, books that will help to push you to find ways to become a better writer yourself. And, you know, also always uh, keep on enjoying the reading process. When I was in screenwriting program in Los Angeles, one of the worst things about it was by the half to three quarters of the way through for about two more years, I could not watch a movie and just fully relax and enjoy it because, because I was analyzing everything and it just made it really not fun. So I don't want you to do that. <laughs> but just every once in a while, stop and ask yourself, what have they done that I really, really am liking about this? All right. Now, if you think that maybe working with another person and being able to brainstorm together and ask questions and get some guidance and basically sort of have a guide helping you through the process of writing your book, reach out to me. We'll get on a phone call. I'll tell you more about what I do. You tell me where you're at. We'll see whether or not our personalities click. And, you know, maybe I can help you to start and or finish. You know, my whole thing is about finishing. Finish your book because your book could be important. At the very least, it'll bring you joy to write it and finish it. So you definitely wanna do that at least for your joy. But depending on what other reasons that you have, you might be really wanting to get it out into the world because um, you're part of a writer's group and the other people in the group are doing it and you're all together because you all want to do it. You wanna put your books out into the world. You want to entertain people and make them laugh or make them scared. Or maybe you're writing nonfiction and you wanna teach somebody something or change somebody's mind about something. These are all different kinds of importance and there are different ways and different levels of changing the world. So I super duper duper believe this is important. If you are thinking about or in the middle of writing a book or your 60th book, keep going. If you need to take a little break and just like catch your breath and sort of um, get a little bit more juice flowing <laughs> in your imagination and your creativity, do that, but, but don't stop. You know, if you're really just not into it anymore and you're not enjoying it and you just don't even care whether or not you stop, that's totally fine. But if this is something important to you, please hear me encourage you. Keep on going. You can do it. The world wants to read your book. They really do. Not all 9 billion of them or 8 billion of them, but there is a segment that's going to be like, I loved that book. You don't want to let them down <laughs> and always be looking for ways that you're writing for your own joy. Even if you have a deadline, we write for joy. If we weren't writing for joy, maybe we would work at a bank. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think it's important to remember joy and peace as well as, you know, career direction, if that's it for you. 
Anyway, these are all the things I'm very excited about. If you'd like to work with me, I have a few more spots open for the summer. Um, I'll have more spots opening up in the fall. So you can reach out on Facebook Messenger or Twitter, send me a message on either of those two places, or you can send me an email at kitty at kittybuholtz.com and we'll have a little chat. All right. So, um, I think those are all the announcements I wanted to make. I just wanted to remind you, celebrate 250 episodes with me, do something fun, go for a bike ride, eat some ice cream and, um, look for ways that you can encourage somebody else in your life. You know, maybe it's another writer friend. Maybe it's just somebody who lives in your house and there's some other way that you can encourage them. I think that encouragement is maybe one of the best gifts that we can give each other. It's certainly one of the ones that I most enjoy giving and receiving practically equally. <laughs> now, uh, set down uh, whatever you're doing, listen carefully, take some notes. This is going to be super helpful. Here is Jody Headland telling us how we can build book buzz. Today's guest is Jody Headland. Jody is the best-selling author of over 30 historical novels for both adults and teens, and is the winner of numerous awards, including the Christie, Carol, and Christian Book Awards. Jody lives in Michigan with her husband, busy family, and five spoiled cats. She loves to imagine that she can really visit the past, although she's yet to accomplish the feat, except via the many books she reads. Welcome, Jody. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you for having me today. Oh, it's so good having you here. I so very much enjoyed your book. I actually well, was surprised you. that it was a, um, uh, you know, sold by a Christian bookseller or um, uh, what am I trying to say? Publisher, because yeah. it reminded me so much of some of my favorite historical romance novels, like A Knight in Shining Armor by Jude Devereaux or yeah. something like that. So right. I was totally into it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and yeah. as of today when everybody is listening to this congratulations it just came out this week <laughs> thank you yeah it's exciting it's a new genre for me a time crossing which is another word for time travel and yeah this is this is a, an exciting week because I've I have never done anything like this before so it's a new adventure for me for sure Oh, okay. So all the other historicals that you've done are just single time period, no kind of sci-fi piece. To right. Them. Right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I have written in multiple genres, but this is the first time for me in this one. So most often, most of my novels are just plain historical romances. I shouldn't say plain, they're <laughs> exciting. Yeah, of course. <laughs> but, um, but they're, they're the, the typical historical romance set in the uh, 1800s, most of them. And they are, most of them are set in America during kind of that sweet spot of 1850s through 1900s. And some of them are but like one, I have a series about orphan trains and oh. the women who were part of that movement. And then I have another series about bride ships, people oh. sailing from England over to the Pacific Northwest. And then most recently, uh, I've moved into the Colorado Rockies with a cowboy series there. So yes, oh. most of my uh, venture into writing has been with the adult historical romance. I have also dabbled in young adult and have written several series 
that are set in the Middle Ages. So that's a little bit closer to this, this new genre that I'm jumping into um, that involves Middle Ages. So the young adult has prepared me for this, if you want to say so. It's The young adult is more of a fairy tale, though, fantasy kind of um, fictional world, but definitely rooted in the Middle Ages in that historical era. And then um, the other thing that I've also dabbled in is called biographical fiction, which is based on the lives of true historical figures. Um, I've done a few of those. And so, yeah, I'm kind of, I've been all over the place, but really I consider the, everything to fall under the umbrella of a historical writer. Uh, that's what I would primarily consider myself, as well as romance. All of my novels have, are heavy in the romance department because that is my true love. Nice. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, this, this new branching off into the time crossing is, is definitely uh, a new thing that is, hasn't been done a whole lot in the, in the Christian market, really. Yeah. Uh, I can't really think of any mainstream books right now within um, the Christian Book Association that that have this flavor. So I'm excited to see how readers, you know, enjoy it so far. Early readers have enjoyed it and written great reviews. So I'm hoping that um, everyone will enjoy this this new venture with me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I have to say, I loved it. Uh, Come Back to Me is the title, yeah? Yes. Okay, mm -hmm. so just give us kind of the brief overview so that we can okay. kind of follow along with you. Right, sure. Uh, the, the, the story is, as I mentioned, a time crossing. And so the main character is a research scientist and um, her name is Marion Creighton. And so she is a contemporary woman, obviously she's a research scientist, and she, uh, she is working at a lab in the United States and she's trying to come up with a cure uh, to help a genetic disease that, that took her mother and now is afflicting her younger sister. And her father, has been obsessed with finding a cure or some kind of way to heal this disease because it took his wife from him, whom he deeply loved, and now he wants to save his daughter. So he's been working on trying to find a cure as well. And his research has taken him down quite a different path. And so Marion does not, has has understood that her father is looking for what he's called the ultimate cure. And it relates to um, some, some things that uh, are historical in nature and have to do with some holy water. And so she doesn't really find out the depth of what he's been doing and researching until he falls into a coma and she's called by one of his coworkers and he relates the news to her. And so she flies over to Canterbury, England where he has been working. And so she learns once she arrives that the depth of his research has been so much more extensive than she understood. And that other research companies are actually vying to find his 
uh, all of his research. And so she understands then, wow, it's, this is really, he's onto something because she is being chased and shot at and her friend is kidnapped. And so she realizes, wow, this is much more in depth than she ever realized. And then she also learns that in addition to him having kind of located this holy water, which can cure diseases, that it can also give very realistic visions. And so almost as if someone is traveling into the past. And so she realizes that her father is she at first she thinks he's kind of crazy for his theory but that that this holy water if, if you drink it can actually cross a time barrier and you can experience uh living or visiting the past and she doesn't believe it at first until she takes a little bit of the water and experiences some of these flashbacks to the past and so eventually <laughs> she goes into the past for herself to try and save her father and find some water for her sister and has all of these fun and dangerous adventures that ends up in a marriage of convenience and ends up falling in love with this guy so um, it's definitely uh, a very different story for me but it was so much fun to write and um I I just had a lot of fun taking real historical facts actually and putting them taking a spin on them and 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 here's what we came up with yeah yeah wow well definitely I could uh, just talk about the, your story for a while just because I found it so interesting I do have to just uh, ask one question we have a topic that we're going to cover but but I'm wondering is time crossing just a 21st century way of saying time travel we somebody just decided to change it or is there something different about them no, it's, it's totally the same thing. Um, it, it's one of the reasons why um, when I was thinking about how to classify this story, I didn't necessarily want to land on time travel and confuse people into thinking, because usually when people think of time travel, they think of like a time machine oh. like um there's a recent television show called timeless that was on a few years ago that had this time machine or you know the old movies back to the future where they go back in this car this fast car <laughs> or even like outlander where there's the stone hedges and people just their bodies are t entirely taken out of the future and transported into the past so Time, this this time travel novel is not bodies aren't disappearing and and there aren't any weird you know sci-fi kinds of things happening and so this this when I was thinking of the vehicle so to speak a vehicle for using for time travel I wanted to come up with like a gentler method yeah. and so when I was researching people about people in comas, I realized that there are accounts of people waking up from their comas describing having very realistic visions um, while in their comatose states. Dreams that are almost feel like they're having an alternate life experience that they describe. So I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. And then also when I was researching holy water, I realized that in addition 
to the holy water uh, being known for curing people of illnesses. In fact, if you were to go to Canterbury Cathedral today, you'd see a stained glass window there that is called the Miracle Windows. And they uh, have various stories of healing that have taken place from people who <clears throat> drank holy water or the, the holy oil that was there in the cathedral, being sold in the cathedral. And so I thought when I was researching this holy water, people also had realistic visions when they were drinking this water. And I thought, well, let's merge these two concepts, the comas and the holy water and give these people real, very realistic visions almost to the point where it feels like they're going back in time. And um, so that's a question readers will grapple with as they're reading. Is this really them going back in time or are they really, is it just a vision? Right, right. <laughs> um, so so, so time that, crossing. that was how, it, yeah. Yeah, so time crossing is, is basically, it was just you, is your idea, not, it's not some other idea that's out there. So it's your yeah. idea for how to explain yeah. that like my right. body isn't going someplace, but I feel in my mind that I am someplace else. Well, or... I mean, in a, in a sense, <laughs> I guess it's the question to be answered by this whole series. Are they really going back in time or are they having a realistic vision? So, I mean, I, I plant clues that you could go either way, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I like to think that essentially they really do go into the past because <laughs> um, I think that's a really fun thing. Yeah. But yeah, time crossing is definitely, as I was, you know, working through how to categorize this, this new series, uh, talked it over with my agent as well as my publisher and said, I, I don't really want to say time travel because for me and my brand, it seems like people will maybe, I, it just, it was one of those things like this was a, seemed like a gentler way to introduce people to this new concept of what right. I was writing, but right. essentially it is time travel. Okay, right. So this is actually a good way for us to kind of segue into our topic, because what you're trying to do is make sure that you're not muddying a brand that you've been building over the last uh, decade or two or whatever. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right. Building a brand. I, I've been asked this question many times and, uh, and it's a common question, I think, for many authors or writers. If you switch genres, how do you handle that? Like, you know, if in the that back in the day when I first was uh, anticipating writing some young adult, as I mentioned, the question that I had with my agent was, do I take a pen name? Like, it, authors typically did switch to a pen name or have, for different genres. We even know that <clears throat> J.K. Rowling switched and had a pen name for her um, adult. Was it suspense or yeah. whatever she's writing, kind of the, her second genre, and realized that after taking her pen name, like nobody picked up her book. I mean, it really sold very poorly until the publisher then leaked of that this the real author behind this new series was J.K. Rowling. And then it sold like gangbusters, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it 
hit bestseller list. So the, uh, the age of taking pen names, I think, has long passed, but there is still that fear from authors that if you, if you jump into a new genre, you may or may not alienate your main readership. And my main readership is historical romance. And so every time that I have branched off into a new type of genre, even though I write under the umbrella of, you know, historical and all of my books typically fall under that, I still have disappointed readers. So for example, if my YA readers pick up one of my historical romances that are written for adults, I, I've gotten comments from them saying, oh, it's too slow. I don't like all the detail. I, I, you know, it's just not my, I, don't, I just don't, I didn't like it. Yeah. Whereas I get uh, feedback from my adult readers who sometimes don't like the young adult pacing or it's just, you know, it, it, you will end up having some readers who are not completely happy with your crossing over into another genre. And so this is just this time crossing genre that I'm branching into. I know that there are going to be some of my diehard readers who are just not going to like it. And that's okay. But um, that's the the risk that you take is you can't assume that you're going to bring your entire readership with you. And those new readers I gain may not necessarily like my other genres the same way they do time crossing. So, um, but I think for me personally, where I'm at in my writing career is that it is, it is a, a plus just like it was for JK Rowling to bring along her readership into a new her new genre she gained a lot of of new readers and so as as an established author I think you do have a better chance if if I if that makes sense of gaining readers for a new genre that you jump into because they like your writing they like your style they like your voice already and so it does help Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree. I think that, um, there are so many little things that we can do to help them understand, like, um, make the covers pretty different or, um, yeah. Um, but so you and I are talking right now about three weeks before come back to me, uh, comes out officially. Um, I love that I got to read the advanced reader copy so Mm -hmm. I can tell everybody (laughs) it's awesome. You should totally go buy it. (laughs) So what are some of the things that you're doing right now to build book buzz, both in general and knowing that you've got to gently can, uh, convince people, give this new thing a try. Yeah, yeah. Well, I do have a a process that I use before every book release that uh, I've carried over for this book as well. And this is a question, again, I, I, I get frequently from aspiring writers or even debut authors. How do you have a build book buzz? And how do you sustain that during release time? And so one of the primary way I've done everything over the years, <laughs> I've tried everything, I've done everything possible from book signings to blog giveaways to, you know, scavenger hunts, you know, you name it. Um, and <clears throat> really what I think it boils down to is for me having 
the way to the way to build the most buzz, I feel, is to have a productive writing schedule and to be releasing books quite consistently. That to me, having books and building your readership is the number one way to continue gaining readers. Uh, in today's market, especially having multiple books published a year has been a very, very good strategy on for me. Now, aside from that, with each book, I still have to work at building book buzz with each individual release. Um, and so what I've found in the recent years to be the most helpful thing is establishing a Facebook group that is open to all my readers. And so I have promoted that on social media and invited uh, readers to come join me there in my newsletter and in all my social media sites. So now I have a very thriving Facebook group. It's taken some time to build the numbers. But what I generally do is about a month before release, I have a sign up that goes live I would say probably more like a month and a half before release. I have a sign up and I let readers know on such and such a date, I will be opening up and providing a sign up for advanced reader copies. Now, when it's through my publishers, they provide the books. When um, it's one of my indie books, I because I have done a, quite a number of indie books as well, I provide the books. And so either way, I offer advanced reading copies to those who sign up to be on what I call my launch crew or my release crew. And I limit the number of spots. And so that means first come, first serve. And so readers come and they sign up and they fill out a Google Docs form. Uh, I have a, a kind of a questionnaire they have to go through and list their email and goes into a nice handy spreadsheet. Um, <clears throat> and so then based on that, I will send out, I'll, I'll, I'll pick the set number of, of advanced readers that I would like to be on my team, narrow it down. I email them uh, probably about two to three weeks before release, I send them the book or I, I use book funnel for my indie books and um, they are given a, a, an, a, an email sent to them, letting them know they can download the, the copy of the book. <clears throat> and so that is the start. And then what I do is I require them, or I don't know if requires the right word, but I ask them to complete five actions. So I give them a about a two page and a half to two pages of suggestions in an email of things that they can do to help spread the book buzz. And so that that is anything from I, I also ask them to leave a review uh, on review sites as the number one thing. Yeah. And then pick five other influential actions. And so those are anything from posting about the book on Facebook, leaving um, a comment on Twitter, posting a picture of the book on Instagram, you know, 
posting updates on Goodreads. So wherever they want to post about the book or they can go and ask their library to buy a copy where yeah. they can give the book to someone else to read or email people about it, whatever they want to do. But I, I asked them to do these five things, just five. And then I also hold them accountable for those five things. So at the end of, this, of the, the launch crew period, they are, I give them a link to another Google form to fill out where they list what they've done. And then based on that um, form, we're able to then look and see who actually did what they said they were going to do. <laughs> and so it's been a really great way to uh, build buzz because I have you know, 75 to 100, depending on how large I decide to make the launch crew, or sometimes it's even been as high as 125 people. And so you have all of those people all sharing, all doing things. And it, and it does, it does create a lot of buzz around the yeah. release of a book. Wow. Now that the problem really comes when yeah. a reader doesn't like the story. <laughs> and in this case, being on the launch crew, I always try and emphasize that this is different than being a, a book reviewer. So I say to them, if you do not like the book, that an influencer does not hurt, post things that would hurt the author's marketing efforts. Yeah. That if they don't like it, I ask them to try and do two things. One, they could give their book away to someone they think might like it. And two, possibly share someone else, a link to, you know, link to someone else's right. review or a giveaway or something else that might be happening. And so in that way, they're not obligated to, you know, pump up the book and, you know, say all kinds yeah. of false things about the book, because if they didn't like it, I, I don't want them to lie. Yeah. But at least then they're not hurting the marketing efforts. And that is a huge difference between being on a launch crew versus a book reviewer, right. which a lot of publishing houses have book reviewing programs that people can sign up for, or an early copy of NetGalley, for example, you might review. And in that case, you know, readers are wanting to see what these reviewers are saying, but this is the difference essentially between uh, being on an author's launch team versus a book reviewer. Yeah. And then what is your uh, process when you go through all of the uh, post-launch um, Google Doc information? Uh, how do you, I, I assume that there are some people that just need to be flagged that they, uh, they weren't able to do what they said they were going to do. How, how does that work then after that? They can't be part of the next one or? Yeah, well, typically what, what happens is if someone emails me and says, listen, you know, my mom was in the hospital or I was in the hospital or what, you know, we had this family emergency come up or whatever. I always, always have shown grace. I mean, yeah, life happens, right? <laughs> yeah. Or or I had or they just had a particularly busy time and they couldn't get to the book or whatever. I really do, I'm not like uh, you know, super hard-nosed about it. Um, and I have some really faithful, faithful influencers who've been on probably almost all my launch teams who are just so incredible. And I, I know that if they don't do it, I know why yeah. that they, that it's, 
they have a really good excuse. But yeah, I think it's important that we, you know, if someone wants to be on a launch team, that first of all, an author makes very clear from the get-go the expectations so that it's, they know every author is going to be different in what they require of their launch team. And so it's very important for an author to let their launch team know, here's what I expect so that when the time comes, if they want to sign up again, they're not wondering why they haven't, weren't able to be on the team or what have you, they would know, well, I didn't complete what I said I was going to do last time. So yes, there is sort of a vetting process that happens. Uh, You know, usually we, uh, we just take off people who were not able to complete the actions the, for the last book if they sign up. And I, I would have to say that most of the time those readers don't sign up again, realizing that they weren't yeah. able to do it last time. But there sometimes there are a handful of people who, for whatever reason, don't complete. Or maybe I, it's just it's hard to know. I mean, I can't right. individually email everyone and find out, well, why didn't you fill out your form? I just, you know, it it just is too big of a process. And um, last year I had six books released. And so I went through the process six times. Oh my goodness. So you definitely have a VA or somebody. I do. I have an assistant. Yes. And she, um, she does help with the process. Um, She's definitely um, a lifesaver as far as that goes. Uh, I, I, I have, I, I mean, we do work very, very closely together. So we're both on the same page, uh, but she is very helpful in kind of looking through my list and seeing, okay, and highlighting things for me and saying, these are the people who didn't fill out your, fill out the form last time, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. So it's just definitely helpful. Yeah. But I, I, all that to say too, it is a process an author can do by him or herself Yeah. Uh, without an assistant, especially if your, especially if your book schedule isn't quite as busy as mine, Um, you know, you, it's not, it's not a super hard time consuming process to set up a, a a Facebook group and to, and to communicate there. And the Facebook group goes beyond just launch teams. Let me emphasize that as well. It is a place to relate to readers one-on-one. It is a place where we just can communicate and, and, and have fun and do giveaways and other things between releases. And, but it also is a place where even those who aren't on the launch team will see people posting about the book and, and in a sense that their enthusiasm then creates more buzz within the reader room is what I, my Facebook group is called the re- reader room. So oh, nice, nice. Yeah. yeah because mm-hmm. then you've got, you've got a, a lot, presumably a, a large audience of readers, followers, and then a smaller audience, a smaller portion of them are your launch team. So the launch team members are helping all the others to go, Oh my gosh, yes. I have to buy this book as soon as it comes Absolutely. out. Right. Absolutely. Right. Nice. Exactly. And, and it's, it's really fun because some of them like to create quote graphics, you know, posting things from the book or making fun pictures, you know, it's just, or they link to their reviews or they have blog posts about it. So it does generate a lot of enthusiasm within the group as well. 
as outside the group. So I, 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 I feel like that has been really the most helpful way to build book buzz. Yeah. Now, mm-hmm. I don't know, um, like how, if you have more steps that you were going to explain, but can I just uh, step in with a question? Sure. So some people are going to be asking themselves, okay, so I can go create a, a Facebook group right now. I can connect it to my Facebook author page, no problem. But for the amount of time that it takes to actually start getting some people to interact, it's going to feel like you're just talking to an empty room. And sometimes you kind of are. So do mm-hmm. you remember what you did um, in the beginning when you were trying to just keep yourself going? Like, don't, don't quit. Cause you got to start building up this momentum of getting people to actually yeah. come and. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that it's helpful to post consistently, even if it doesn't feel like you are getting much traction initially, um, but post genuinely. So a lot of times what what I post are reading related fun things. And so then it kind of gets everyone interacting a little bit more. Um, Lately, I've been doing like a cover versus cover. And so I'll compare two covers of my books For example, the last one, I had two different covers, each with different braids. The the heroines on the covers had different braids. And so the cover was Battle of the Beautiful Braids. So I asked readers, which cover braids do you like the best? And so they weighed in and, and it was kind of a fun thing. And I've done that for like two covers with different shawls on it and you know two two covers with two male models I don't have very many male models on my covers and so I asked them to weigh in okay which one do you like better and so it's it's been fun doing that or um, I've done polls before you can set up polls and ask different questions about your books so sometimes it's about my books most often it's just reading related um information in general, if that makes sense. Yeah. Fun things. Maybe even just talking about what you're reading or. Absolutely. And, and I think, you know, to start with posting a couple of times a week is probably sufficient. Uh, Generally, I try and post in there about three times a week, if not four. And so, and, and of course, then to balance that out with my regular Facebook page and coming up with content for both can be challenging at times, but um, because I have so many releases, it, it, it's a little easier. You know, I have, I've constantly got stuff to talk about and, you know, not trying to shove my books down anyone's throat, but these are the people who are most interested in what I write. Right. They're not strangers. They really do want to hear the news about discounts on books or other books that are related to mine that may there might be giveaways that other authors are having that are you know they would be interested in or or different um fun things that my publisher's doing that they might be interested in learning about so it, it there's there seems to be a good steady stream of of new content to post and it's just a matter of becoming aware I guess of other other things that you can other ways to draw your readers in, if that makes sense. So you're posting uh, on your Facebook author page and in your Facebook reader group. And Mm -hmm. is, um, is, 
Is there a difference? Like, is the Facebook page a little bit more general or more specific? Are you posting there once or twice a month to say, remember, you can just go over here and join the reader group and hear even more? How do you? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah, I, I mean, I would say that most of the time there's there's definitely a crossover in what's being posted in both places. I don't post identical things necessarily, but there's definitely the same type of information being posted in both places because as you know, Facebook pages, it's very difficult for, for a, a normal post to have much reach. Yeah. And without boosting it. And, you know, who wants to do that every time you post something? So, so yeah, I, I don't feel like the Facebook page necessarily gets the same type of interaction as the Facebook group. But at the same time, it's important for a Facebook page to remain up to date and, and to have fresh content because readers will come and look at your Facebook page when they're seeking you out. Same thing with your website. They will come and, and take a look at it. And, and, you know, so it's important, even more important, I think, on Facebook because the date's there when you yeah. last posted. And if it's been a month, people are going to wonder why, you know, they're just, it's just, I think you're going to get better interaction if you keep posting on a somewhat regular basis on your Facebook page, even if not necessarily a ton of people are, that post isn't going out to a ton of people, at least it's fresh content. Yeah. And, and then when people seek you out, they realize, oh, you're relevant, you have new material and so forth. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. I mean, um, I was doing some research for a current story and everything that I write. So you're from Michigan. We were talking about this earlier. I'm from Michigan and um, everything that I write is set in, in the general vicinity of Traverse City, um, which, okay. you know, when you look at the hand for people who are familiar, <laughs> I know. <laughs> so I grew up about 40 miles east of Traverse City on a little lake. And so um, my Loon Lake books are sort of a combination of where I lived what it might look like in my imagination and the town that I actually like went to school and stuff in because it the little lake community wasn't big enough for that um or or they're set in Traverse City so <laughs> because this is where I spent the first 25 years of my life this is all very um like a part of my heart kind of place mm -hmm. and I went to the Facebook page of this place that makes um cherry sausage for cherry festival mm. wow. and I was like oh my <laughs> gosh they closed last year <laughs> but I wouldn't have known why their last post was February of last year if they hadn't like pinned a post saying, you know, sadly we had to close. Um, yeah. So there's things that we can do that will also help people to know the most important thing we need them to know is right. so perhaps we could do a pinned post at the top of our author page that says by the mm -hmm. way remember join the facebook group to get even more interaction true and, uh, contests yeah. free things right learn about the launch team right and we could put right. that in just a pinned post absolutely right and it's also a most people, most authors have a website and you can have a place on there that directs people to the Facebook group as well. Um, blog on, in a sidebar, you know, that there's lots of ways to drive new interest to a group. 
Um, I always mention it in my newsletters. So it's like the last thing in a newsletter that I'll say, hey, you know, come, if you haven't yet, come join the Facebook reader room. It's a, a wonderful place to connect. And so, yeah, there's, I think there are lots of ways to drive more people to the reader room and, um, you know, Facebook's always changing. So it, it's just, I know a lot of authors are a little leery of putting all their eggs in one basket in, in Facebook reader rooms. So don't make that the entire basket of your building your book buzz, but it is definitely right now a great way to utilize and build book buzz. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't want to interrupt. Like I said, do you have anything else? Otherwise I do have another question, but I, I don't oh, want to. No, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. So tell us what you do uh, for particularly pre-launch and, and um, near launch book buzz regarding your newsletter. Yeah. So <clears throat> I, I know a lot of authors stake a lot in newsletters and are all for newsletters. And you'll hear build your build your newsletter email list. That's so important because then you own those emails and no one can take it from you. If social media decides to get wonky again, you at least have control over your newsletter. Um, <clears throat> so I have done a lot of work and have built up my newsletter numbers qu quite significantly, but what I have found over, especially in recent years, is that the open rate is not nearly as good as it used to be. And I think that is just because every author has been told, build up your email lists and newsletters, do, you know, and so everybody's doing it. And so once everybody starts doing it, in some ways it diminishes the effectiveness of yeah. that particular, that particular mode of building book buzz. And so I typically will only send a newsletter a couple of times a year. And most of the time I'll try to uh, pack it full of the most relevant things. Not, not so that it's overwhelming for readers to read a lot of content or whatever, but a lot of visuals, links, uh, information about books that have either released or are coming. And so make it a really important newsletter versus lots of newsletters with questionable, con you know, like, oh, here we go again, another email from Jody Headland, you know, so yeah. when they see one from me, they know they're going to get what they're looking for, which is information about all of my releases. And so in that way, that's been helpful in attempting to get a good conversion rate or open rate on those on those email on those newsletters but it's still very much a challenge and um so I haven't I like I said I I, I typically just do a couple a year uh and make them very important and and so that readers have an incentive to open them, um, yeah. use a great title, if that at all possible, that will entice them to open it um, and do everything I can to make it um, so that the next time they'll want to open it. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Mm -hmm. So you are a hybrid author. You have traditionally published books and self-published books. Um, so sometimes you have to do all the work and sometimes you have to do 
probably what feels like almost all the work. In what <laughs> ways can you give people some suggestions about how you found, um, of course, it's going to vary by um, author, editor, and publishing house and publicist, but, but what mm -hmm. are some of the ways that you can suggest to people that if you're already working with a publishing house, um, how can you... Uh, work with them even more, not just do what you've been asked to do, but it, have you found anything where you can like take one extra step and it actually seems to really do more for, uh, for the buzz part, the, the pre-launch? That's, that's a tough question and, and it may not have an easy or any answer, but I thought I would ask. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, like you said, every publisher is very different. I've worked with, I want to say, you know, like a handful of publishers now within the Christian book industry. And so I've learned that every, every single one has sort of a different philosophy in how they approach things. And so first, I, I try to really get a feel for what's their priority and kind of try and understand where they're coming from. Do they prefer ads or do they prefer social media stuff? Or do they, um, do they do a lot with publications that I can't even, you know, be a part of that are all on their end. And so there's, there's really a lot of, of different things that publishers do. And so it's helpful to figure out, okay, what, what are their expectations of me? But Generally, what I found is most publishers will ask me as an author, what are some ideas I have? And since I've worked with so many publishers, I do, and, and done a lot of, of my own indie books, I do have a lot of ideas of what I think works the best. And so typically I'll share, you know, a handful of ideas that, that I think have the best um, a return on investment, basically, yeah. that I've, I've seen these few things tend to draw in the most readers versus focusing our energy over here doesn't really seem to work as much as um, honing in on a few things that have worked well for me. And so most of the time, my publishers are very receptive to those ideas and uh, will, you know, tweak it to work for them. And so I, I've, I've appreciated learning so much about the different ways that publishers work um, and their different philosophies. And so it's, it's been a really interesting experience having a variety of, of publishers that I've worked with. Yeah. And it's nice because there's um, it, life continues to be a learning experience, which I just find to be more interesting when I'm always learning mm -hmm. something new. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. <Yes. laughs> Oh, wow. Listen, um, I know that you have writing deadlines to get back to. So as much as I would love to talk to you more, you've been a huge help and I, I should let you get back to your writing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and mm -hmm. so just tell us, so this book is Come Back to Me, um, just mm -hmm. came out on June 3rd yeah, or June 1st. Today's June 3rd. Um, and but this is not uh, just a standalone book. Yeah. Right. Right. There is a sequel. And so it will be released in January of 2022. 
Uh, it's called Never Leave Me. And so that carries on the story of one of the minor characters in the first book, or actually two of the minor characters, and tells the story of Marion Creighton's sister, Ellen, who's the one who is dying of a genetic disease. And so her story is next. And um, I'm just in the process well, of editing, getting in those final edits with my publisher and so um it's it's a fun story too i hope readers will like that just as much yay well i'm excited because <laughs> i got to the end of the book and i'm like oh i wonder if we're going to hear more about some other characters <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> nice well listen where yeah. can people find out more about you uh come back to me and all of your other books well like i said the best place to connect with me is in my reader room <laughs> and there are links <clears throat> all over the place probably the best place to direct readers currently is my website which is jodyhedlund.com j-o-d-y-h-e-d-l-u-n-d and i have a box on there a contact box and i do welcome questions from writers uh, I have a personal blog and a group blog, and I generally, if writers will ask questions, I'll set them aside and try and get to them over on my group blog. I'll answer a question once in a while as I have time. So, we're, you know, if I have time, I'll try and write a response in an email as well. Uh, but I do, I do always respond to emails, even if I can't always answer the questions right away. Um, so that's a great place to connect, but also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you know, any of those places I hang out and love to connect with readers. So Excellent. Yep, just track me down. <laughs> well, I'm sure that everybody listening is like, that is great. Practical how-to tips. This is wonderful. Thank you so yeah. much. Oh, for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we really appreciate <laughs> your time and good luck and happy writing. Thank you. I would say for all those aspiring writers, the best piece of advice I can leave you with is to always keep on learning and always keep on writing and just repeat, learn, write, learn, write, learn, write. 